Please take your Bibles and turn to the Old Testament, to the book of Daniel. We'll read from Daniel chapter 1. This is the sixth part in the series on the fruit of the Spirit. What is the fruit of the Spirit? It's the evidence that God is at work in you. Some say that the evidence of the fruit of the, Spirit, of the Holy Spirit being in you is that you speak in tongues or something like that. That's the gift of the Spirit, but it's not the fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit is more of the evidence that Christ is in you. And those fruit would be love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Today we look at two of those as we put goodness and faithfulness together looking at our text in Daniel 1. My sources include John Sanderson's book, The Fruit of the Spirit, a book by Stuart Briscoe entitled The Fruit of the Spirit, Ian DeGuid from the Reformed Expository Commentary, his commentary on Daniel, a series by Brian Chappell on Daniel, and then a study by Bob Deffenbaugh on Daniel. Let's stand together for the reading of God's Word as we look at at, uh, what God is doing in the life of one man named Daniel. Hear the word of God from Daniel 1, verse 1. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. So this is a a huge thing that's happening historically. We know from history in 586 B.C., Babylon did besiege Jerusalem and destroyed it. And the Lord delivered Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand, along with some of the articles from the temple of God. These he carried off to the temple of his God in Babylonia and put in the treasure house of his God. Then the king ordered Ashpenaz, chief of of his court officials, to bring into the king's service some of the Israelites from the royal family and the nobility, young men without any physical defect, Handsome, showing aptitude for every kind of learning, well-informed, quick to understand, and qualified to serve in the king's palace. He was to teach them the language and literature of the Babylonians. The king assigned them a daily amount of food and wine from the king's table. They were to be trained for three years, and after that they were to enter the king's service. Among those who were chosen were some from Judah. Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. The chief official gave them new names to Daniel, the name Belteshazzar, to Hananiah, Shadrach, to Mishael, Meshach, and to Azariah, Abednego. The grass withers, the flowers fall, but the word of our God stands forever. Let us pray. Thank you, Lord God, for this, your word. Thank you for a man like Daniel, who will teach us a lot today. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for your work in Daniel. And we pray that you would give us understanding and application of your holy word. Through Jesus, our Lord, I pray. Amen. Please be seated. Now, we don't know very much about Daniel. Until we meet him in chapter 1 as a young adult male, we're sure that Daniel grew up in Judah, most likely in the city of Jerusalem. He was probably born of parents high up in the social rankings of, of Judah, possibly even of royal blood. 
at the very beginning of this book that bears his name, Daniel's life changed dramatically for the worse, I might add, and through no fault of his own. I say that because Daniel was a good man. More about that later. Long before Daniel's day, the kingdom of Israel, which had been ruled by Saul and then David and then Solomon, divided into two nations. There was the northern kingdom known as Israel, which was consistently wicked, worshiping idols and forsaking the law of God. And then there was the southern kingdom known as Judah, was oftentimes wicked, but had times of repentance and renewal. You know, there were two kingdoms, Israel in the northern kingdom, and they had a lot of kings. And guess what? They were all bad. They were all evil. Not a one was godly. The southern kingdom known as Judah, they had a lot of kings. And a number of them were evil, but a number of them were good and godly. Names like Hezekiah and Uzziah. Uh, Josiah, Asa. So again, there's, there's a number of kings that were godly. Jehoiakim was not one of them. God's prophets had warned of future judgment if Israel did not repent of her wicked ways. And as you know, Israel did not listen. God's judgment came upon them in the form of defeat and dispersion by the Assyrians. Assyria was eager to extend her empire by adding the southern kingdom of Judah to her conquest. But God intervened, sparing Judah from the hand of the Assyrians. So God pointed to the fall of Israel at the hand of the Assyrians in the 8th century B.C., around 722 B.C., as an object lesson for wayward Judah. He warned of a similar fate for Judah at the hand of the nation of Babylon If they did not repent, yet Judah refused to listen to these warnings. So the result was that captivity came upon the southern kingdom as well. And that began in 586 B.C. Now, Daniel, along with a number of other young Hebrews, was taken in the first wave of captives and held hostage in Babylon. Several attacks on Jerusalem would follow, with many Hebrews deported to Babylon to spend 70 years in captivity. So get the picture. Daniel, along with a number of others, was torn away from his family, his friends, and as far as we know, he would never see his homeland again. Tell me this. Can you, in the plans that you have for your future... Can you even imagine something like that ever happening to you? It's also possible that Daniel, since he was called a eunuch, was castrated as part of his punishment and his humiliation as a Hebrew hostage. How do you think that you would cope in such a hostile environment as this? What truths would you cling to to help see you through it all? Let's look this morning at three lessons. And the first is this. As believers, all of us, all of us are exiles on this earth. So the setting is very clear from the very first verse of our text. It says, in the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. So there's this invasion of a foreign army. 
and they destroyed the city of Jerusalem. They took away articles from the temple and many of the nobility of that city and that nation. And then in verse 2, it tells us, And the Lord delivered Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand. His meaning Nebuchadnezzar's. So listen to verse 2. It says, And the Lord delivered Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand, along with some of the articles from the temple of God. It says the Lord delivered Jehoiakim into the hand of Nebuchadnezzar. Can this be right? (laughs) I mean, God is working against his people. That's what it says. God gave his people into the hands of their enemies, all because God's people were unwilling to repent of their sins. And so judgment came in the form of Judah's enemies. As a result, Daniel and his friends are exiled in a foreign land, and they have to learn to negotiate their way through life under foreign domination. You know what? It's the same way with us, because we are exiles. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, then your citizenship this morning is where? It's in heaven. And even though you and I are citizens of the United States, the Bible says we are exiles on this earth. It didn't used to feel that way. But as things progress further and further in a a downward spiral, maybe you're starting to get the point. The life of the believer and the life of the unbeliever are on opposite paths. And it is this world which seeks to squeeze us into its mold, not the other way around. The pressure is on us, whether we're at school or at work, to be like everyone else in the way that we dress, the parties that we attend, the language that we use. We are expected to laugh at certain kinds of jokes, to make fun of certain kinds of people. If we want a promotion in the corporate world, then we are pressured to leave our values and our religious beliefs at the door. And to live completely assimilated to the ways of the business community. In short, we have to choose daily whether to be a part of this world in which we live or to take a difficult path of sometimes standing against it. Turn with me to Psalm 137. Psalm 137. In speaking of the exile, the psalmist says, By the rivers of Babylon we sat and wept when we remembered Zion. Can you imagine? I mean, I I know that Andrew Brunson could imagine. Can you imagine those two years in prison and all the thoughts that went through his head, the things that he thought about, what he remembered? There on the poplars we hung our harps. For there our captors asked us for songs. Our tormentors demanded songs of joy. They said, and this is obviously with sarcasm dripping, sing us one of the songs of Zion. And verse 4 says, how can we sing the songs of the Lord while in a foreign land? It's very telling, isn't it? Just so it shows what what an exile was like and what it meant to be an exile. So all of us are exiles on this earth as believers. Second lesson today is as believers, all of us are to maintain 
dual identities on this earth. Dual identities. So imagine being that first generation having to make that decision. Daniel was part of that. And I'm sure that some of the captives like Daniel were deeply influenced by a letter that was sent to them by the prophet Jeremiah not too long after they were taken into captivity. So turn with me to Jeremiah. Jeremiah chapter 29 in the Old Testament. Jeremiah 29, starting at verse 4. Jeremiah says, This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says to all those I carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses and settle down. Plant gardens. Eat what, you, eat what they produce. Marry and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage so that they too may have sons and daughters. Increase in number there. Do not decrease. Also, seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, because if it prospers, you too will prosper. So several young men are mentioned by name in the book of Daniel because they found a way of fulfilling Jeremiah's advice of settling down and cooperating in Babylon. And yet, and yet they remained faithful to the tradition of their forefathers as well as to the God of their forefathers. These young men's names were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. It could be the only one you know is Daniel. King Nebuchadnezzar wanted some young Israelites to be trained for government service, probably to manage their fellow captives. The result was Daniel and the other promising Jewish slaves began training for positions of honor and power. They got to go from being the king's slaves to being in the king's service. We saw that you know, years ago, we studied about Joseph in the book of Genesis, and this is what's happening with, with Daniel. So to do this, they needed to keep their heads down so that they could keep their heads on, if you catch my drift. In other words, they were not to question the king, but Daniel did question the king. We don't know why, but Daniel felt like he would defile himself if he were to eat the meat and drink the drinks that were served from the king's table. So he asked the chief of the eunuchs to allow him not to defile himself. And that's where we'll take up our reading in Daniel 1. So get back to our text in Daniel 1, and let's read verses 8 through 10. But Daniel resolved not to defile himself with the royal food and wine, and he asked the chief official for permission not to defile himself this way. Now, God had caused, here's the sovereignty of God, the providence of God at work. Now, God had caused the official to show favor and compassion to Daniel. But the official told Daniel, look, I'm afraid of my Lord, the king. <laughs> I mean, who wouldn't be right? I'm afraid of my Lord, the king, who has assigned your food and drink. Why should he see you looking worse than the other young men your age? The king would then have my head because of you. So. Why would Daniel do this? Why would Daniel ask not to defile himself with the king's meat and drink? Because he was a good man. He was a good man. Now, 
We throw that phrase around a lot, don't we? What do we mean when we say he's a good man? In speaking of a man named Barnabas in the New Testament, the book of Acts says this in Acts chapter 11. He, Barnabas, was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith. So what does the Apostle Paul mean when he says the fruit of the Spirit is goodness? The word Paul uses is the word agathosune, which is a strictly biblical word. It's found only four times in the entire New Testament. In other words, it's not a word that was used in secular Greek. It is goodness that is, quote unquote, good for something. Good for something. One commentator said that it was agathosune, goodness, that led Jesus to cleanse the temple and drive out the money changers. His goodness was expressing itself prophetically, demanding a change, requiring a response. The kind of goodness Paul has in mind seems to be more directed toward the generosity of a person who goes the second mile for someone. Out of the goodness of his heart, we might say. And if you say that to someone, you're getting close to what Paul had in mind. And as we struggle to understand goodness and its place in our lives, I think it's important to note that unlike kindness, goodness is more about being. Kindness is more about doing. We talked about that last time. But goodness is more about being. And obviously you can't do good until you become good. And that is the work of the Holy Spirit in you. So let's read a little further in Daniel, starting at verse 11. Daniel then said to the guard, whom the chief official had appointed over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, Please test your servants for ten days. Give us nothing but vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then compare our appearance with that of the young men who eat the royal food and treat your servants in accordance with what you see. So he agreed to this and tested them for ten days. At the end of the ten days, they looked healthier and better nourished than any of the young men who ate the royal food. All right. So they stood out. Long story short, the guard agreed to Daniel's request to let them go on a Campbell's vegetable soup diet. Okay? What we have here is Daniel trying to live in a foreign land while maintaining his identity as a believer in the one true God. And, friends, that's not easy. Because Daniel and his friends were instructed in the language and in the literature of the Babylonians. So that all of its myths and legends would attempt to take the place of the scriptures as the source of their wisdom and their worldview. All right, think about this for a moment. At the end of the three-year initiation process, the goal was that their previous identity would be wiped clean. Therefore, all of their allegiances would be completely reprogrammed. You know what that sounds like? College. Sounds like it to me. In other words, let's make sure these kids learn all of the things and unlearn all the things they learned as children in the church so that they don't follow those myths and legends in the Bible. And I want to tell you, I've already heard from one of our parents here about one of our students really struggling with a professor who's making it his sport 
to make fun of Christianity. And as a result, it says to me how important it is what we're doing here on Sunday mornings, in Sunday school, and in Bible drill, because we're training our children in the way they should go. And then they grow up into high school, middle school, high school, and they're hearing all these different things from friends, and they have to make sure that they rely on the truth that is in the Scriptures. And that's what Daniel did. You see, Daniel and his three friends didn't fall for all of that because they knew the Lord. They were good men. They were God's men. Romans chapter 12, verse 2. If you'll turn there for a moment. Romans chapter 12, verse 2. Romans 12, 2. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. In other words, your mind is renewed by the scriptures, by the Holy Scriptures, the word of God. Our children in Bible drill are learning Bible verses that will come back to them again and again as they need them. As they face situations which require remembering what God has said in his word. So we are programming you to learn the scriptures Hoping that you receive and embrace the truth of God's word and not the truth of our culture. Because our culture is not going our direction. They're just not. So don't conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then, then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is. The reason we struggle with understanding God's will is many times we're not thinking thoughts after God. We're thinking thoughts after culture. Once your mind is renewed by God and his word, then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is. His good, pleasing and perfect will. In fact, the term goodness is an attribute that seems to be more exclusively an attribute of God when we talk about goodness. We remember the story you probably do of of Jesus' encounter with the young ruler and he called him good teacher. Remember that? Jesus was called good teacher by this young man. And Jesus said, don't, don't call me good. Only, only God the Father is good. And so a man or a woman can only be good in a relative sense. Because only God is really good. Yet, if a person is not good, then the opposite would be that they're what? Evil. Now, there's a sense in which all of us are evil. Whether you like to admit that or not, there is a sense in which all of us are evil because the scriptures are clear in Romans 3.23. Is there a Bible driller in the place that knows what Romans 3.23 says? What does Romans 3.23 say? Anybody? All have sinned. All have sinned. We're all in the same boat. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And so we've all sinned, which is why we need the gospel. You see, for the believer, for the one who has embraced the gospel of Jesus Christ, God works within you through the Holy Spirit to grow you up in God's grace so that your sense of being is good as opposed to its opposite, which would be evil or for our purposes, hypocrisy, hypocrisy. You see, evil doesn't like to appear evil. So what does it do? It develops a goodly face, a goodly face, which is why we call it. Hypocrisy, because it's play acting. It gives the appearance of goodness, 
with the motive of evil. Is that you? Now, as believers in Jesus Christ, our hope is not in ourselves. Our hope is in the gospel where we embrace our Savior's goodness. And another term for that would be his righteousness. That's the only way you and I are ever going to rank, so to speak, in God's eyes is by embracing the goodness of God, the righteousness of God through Jesus Christ. Daniel was a good man in the sense that he knew God was good first and he knew God. And so as a result, Daniel was filled with the goodness of God through the Holy Spirit. So all of us are exiles. Uh, and secondly, all of us are to maintain this dual identity in the world. And then the third and final lesson is, as believers, all of us, regardless of our situation, are called to faithfulness to our God on this earth. The word in the New Testament for faithfulness is the Greek word pistis, which can mean faith and it can mean faithfulness. Some translators of Galatians 5, where the fruit of the Spirit is talked about, they list faith as the fruit of the Spirit. While most use the word faithfulness, I don't see the need to argue the point because faith is completely dependent upon faithfulness and vice versa. Another another kind of word familiar to us is the word fidelity or reliability, which is the characteristic of being found trustworthy. And the best way to understand this character trait would be to say that it is reliability when tested, reliability when tested. So let's look at our text for just a moment again. Daniel 1, and let's listen to verses 18 through 20. At the end of the time set by the king to bring them into his service, the chief official presented them to Nebuchadnezzar. The king talked with them, and he found none equal to Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. So they entered the king's service. And it says in verse 20 of chapter 1 of Daniel, in every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the the king questioned them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and all the enchanters in his whole kingdom. Let me ask you a question. What do you do with an unfaithful person? What do you do with an unfaithful person? Well, in the marketplace, they fire them. Those involved in dating or courtship know what to do with an unfaithful partner. That is one who's been playing both sides of the fence, who has a little action going on the side. What do they do? They break it off of that person. Why do they do this? Because unfaithfulness is distasteful to us. And yet it has almost reached epidemic proportions in this country. Proverbs 20, verse 6 says, Many claim to have unfailing love, but a faithful person who can find? Well, faithfulness is best seen as you read further into the book of Daniel and as you take note of the faultlessness that is seen in Daniel's behavior as a member of the court of King Darius. This is later on in Daniel's life. Darius wanted to set Daniel up over his entire kingdom, and this caused the other members of the government to burn with envy to the point that they determined to find some cause for Daniel's removal from office and from Darius's favor. So listen to Daniel chapter 6. If you'll turn to Daniel chapter 6, verse 7. 
The royal administrators, prefects, satraps, advisors, and governors all agreed that the king should issue an edict and enforce the decree that anyone who prays to any god or human being during the next 30 days, except to you, your majesty, shall be thrown into the lion's den. So it was only Daniel's spiritual life in which they hoped to find fault, which led Daniel's enemies to pass a law that made Daniel's particular religion illegal. Ever heard the saying, every man has his price? Not Daniel. The fear of God ruled Daniel's heart. And so listen to verse 10 of chapter 6. Now, when Daniel learned that the decree had been published, making his religion illegal, he went home to his upstairs room where the windows opened toward Jerusalem. Three times a day, he got down on his knees and prayed, giving thanks to his God, just as he had done before. Just as he had done before. In other words, it had been Daniel's habit to pray to God three times a day, out loud, in public. And so he did it again by the open windows of his residence, which faced Jerusalem. And remember, by the time, by this time in the book of Daniel, Daniel is now an old man, about 80 years of age. He had been in exile for a long time, but he had not forgotten his city or his country, which had been taken away from him. He'd also hadn't forgotten God's promise to restore Israel and to rebuild Jerusalem. So Daniel did not question whether public prayer was the wisest approach under the circumstances. No, he simply turned to God in trust as he always had. Why? Because Daniel was a good man, a godly man, a faithful man. In his youth, Daniel had refused to compromise on what was, comparatively speaking, a minor issue. But that's where the discipline of faithfulness begins. It begins in the small things of life that you and I face every single day. Our officers in, in officer training have been studying different things to prepare our officers for, for leadership in the church. And one of the persons we studied from history is a professor, a late professor, Dr. J. Gresham Machen. Former professor of New Testament at Princeton Seminary in the early 20th century. He taught when there was a move afoot to distort the Bible's teachings to, to question its authenticity as well as questioning its authority. Dr. Machen would have none of it. And so for his faithfulness to the inerrancy of God's word, this Presbyterian minister was defrocked. He was removed as a professor and he had his ordination taken away from him. Why? Because he refused to stop teaching basic New Testament doctrine from the scriptures. That was 1935. A year later, he died of a broken heart. On a small, unpretentious tombstone in Greenmount Cemetery in Baltimore are some Greek words. The quotation is from Revelation 2, verse 10. And it simply says, faithful unto death. That stone marks the resting place of the body of Dr. Machen. His goodness and his faithfulness showed itself in his scholarly devotion to the truth and in his defense of historic Christianity. He was faithful because he believed in a great God. 
And that brings us to our verse of the week, which is 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 11, 12, and 13. Let's read it out loud together, if you would. Here is a trustworthy saying, if we died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we are faithless, he remains faithful. Let us pray together. Gracious God, our Father, we give you thanks for your word. We thank you, Father, for being the faithful God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and our God today. Lord Jesus Christ, your word says that you are the same yesterday, today, and forever. And so we thank you for being Daniel's God. We thank you, Lord, that you are with Daniel in the, in the lion's den, just as your word tells us. And Lord, there's a different kind of lion's den that we live in today. We thank you for the United States of America. And yet this country is departing from you and departing from your ways. We should not be surprised to know that we live as foreigners in a country that is not completely yours. And so, Father, would you remind us of that? That we are exiles, that we have a dual identity. Yes, we are a citizen of this country, but we're also primarily a citizen of your land. And so as we live in this world, Lord, we get angry, we get upset. We see evil that abounds and it it, it gets us so depressed and, and upset. And I pray that you would fill us with the Holy Spirit and with your goodness, with your righteousness. And we pray that your righteousness might roll down upon this land like a mighty stream. We pray, Lord, that you would fill us with the Holy Spirit. And as we leave this place, that we would leave being your faithful people, living for Jesus Christ. No, not perfect people, but serving a perfect Savior. Even Jesus Christ, our Lord. And it's in his name I pray. Amen.